Hello and welcome to FSP Talks, a new podcast series brought to you by the Society of FSP and FSPGo.com. I'm David Mayola, CEO of FSP, and I'll be your host today. FSP Talks will bring together influential leaders in the financial services industry to discuss their careers, leadership, and business. With us today is Lee D. Bethel, President of Comprehensive Benefit Services Incorporated. Lee has been a leader in the insurance, employment benefit, investment, and financial services field since 1979. He is a graduate of Morehouse College and a past president of the Philadelphia chapter of the Morehouse College Alumni Association. Lee has received numerous industry awards and has appeared on the PBS program Money Watch as a guest panelist and as a financial consultant for Black Entertainment Television. He has been quoted in Ebony Man and also USA Today. So we're very happy to have Lee with us today. Lee, welcome to the program. David, thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, thank you very much, Lee. Again, it's a pleasure to have you, and and let's get started with the questions. So first, let me congratulate you. I understand that you were recently inducted as the 19th member of the Alumni Hall of Fame at the American College of Financial Services. So uh, congratulations on that honor. Thank you very much, David. I really appreciate it. So, Lee, in your experience, uh, what are some of the challenges faced by members of historically underrepresented groups in the workplace? Obviously, we're talking about uh, financial services in, in, in your experience. I think, uh, David, one of the uh, biggest challenges is being able to compete on a level playing field. I think it's important that we, it, it, we're able to do that. And I have found over the years that education is a way to help with that because you have to be able to be competent. You have to be able to provide a high level of advice and education, in my opinion, is what allows you to do that. Um, Early on in my career, there was a case that I was competing on and I was not, I did not win that particular case because it was brought to everybody's attention that I did not have a CLU or a CHFC. So as a result of that, I probably went a little overboard. I think I'm somewhere in the area now of 10 professional designations, but I usually don't find that being an issue going forward (laughs) because I typically have more designations than the person who I might be competing with. So the playing field is level and I can make a good presentation. It might slant, tilt myself in that the case might come my way just because I'm able to provide a higher level of knowledge, hopefully, to resolve that particular client's needs. Do you think it's gotten better or has changed over the years? I, it's kind of gone. It's There's been a little circle, David. You know, I think early on in my career, I started in 1979. Okay, so don't tell anybody. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> we were just I between us. <laughs> <laughs> when I started, when I got started, there was a big, um, you know, the office that I worked in, and I won't say company names, I recalled it the United Nations, okay, because there was everybody, you know, every, you could, every, there was Asian, Hispanics, there was everybody in the office. And then over a few years, things changed. You start seeing, you, there was like, there was, um, um, what do I want to call it? Uh, not a trend. It was the thing to do, you know, you want to have because every particular different group 
had individuals who were had needs of financial services products. Everybody had life insurance needs. It didn't matter if you were Asian or Hispanic or black or white. You had a life insurance need because we're all going to die. So we've got to take care of our family. So those are things. And then all of a sudden things changed. And it seemed to, you know, we had this real influx of individuals. And then it kind of ebbed back down to where it became um, not as many. And then you see it rise back up. So I kind of see it ebbing and flowing as a result of that. But even now, the percentages, when you look at it, you know, there's probably in the area of less than 5% of the financial services professionals are, are black or African-American. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't speak to the to women or to, I don't know those particular statistics, but it's kind of back where it was a long time ago, more so than getting better over the years, at least in my estimation. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about education, Lee, and, and your strategies, do you think that mm-hmm. uh, those strategies were successful? For, well, obviously they were successful. I shouldn't say that. They were obviously for you. Do you think that uh, in today's world of 2020, do you think those strategies and the education that, that, that you put so much stock in, do you think that that is still a good strategy for younger people in the profession? Most definitely. Because when I started, David, I was 22 years old. And as you know, that peer group is making a million dollars a year, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't going to survive work and make it in this business talking to the individuals that were in my peer group, my fellow Morehouse College alumni, you know, who graduated from school and we're all out there making, you know, 30, 40, but, you know, going back some time now, <laughs> what salaries were. So but- in order to make that transition, you know, one of the things that we'd run into, if you're talking to somebody in their 50s and I'm in my 20s, I got a son your age. You know, you'll hear that, right. okay? So in order to combat that, that's where the education came into play because whether I was 22 or 25 and the person I was talking with was 50 or 60, there's still a commonality with the need and then being able to articulate how you solve that particular need. And that's not an age-based thing. And so what happened, at least for me, is that the education gave me the confidence to be able to handle those kinds of objections so they didn't become objections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think, Lee, that uh, – or I should say, what do you think that the industry could do to help some of these issues and become more diverse and, and reach out and, 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 and help uh, these younger people um, in these underrepresented groups become more successful? Is there something they can do and are they doing it? Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I have, wow. One of the things that I've noticed over the years about our industry is that um, a lot of the financial services organizations, we're looking for individuals who are established, and we're basically trying to have somebody come from company A and come to work with company B because they are producing at a particular level, and everybody's looking for, you know, producers. But what that does is when you don't have the youth coming in, because most of the companies now aren't like when I started. I had a draw when I got started, David. That's like gone, okay? And, and well, it's as far as I know it's gone. There's nothing that most advisors or financial services professionals, when they come into the business today, there's not much that provides them a base income. It's commission only. So you take somebody who's coming out of school, 
They got $100,000 worth of school loans. They've got things they've got to do. They need a steady income. So it's very difficult and very daunting to go into a commission-only environment, which is still fairly prevalent. So for those individuals, the companies aren't looking for them because what? They're trained. They've got to train them. And then do they have a training program? The office that I started in had a training supervisor, okay? Had somebody whose job was to train the new agents when they came in and, 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 and help you with your classes and, you know, do all the things that you do so you'd understand what you go from live, die, quit to buy sales and deferred comp and move in that vein. So there was a transition that took place. But now it's pretty much all commission only. So it's very daunting for someone to come into the business. Maybe it sounds great. They're in their 30s, and but they've married. They've got children. They've got mortgage, and they got maybe six months. And if they don't make it in that six months, they got to go get something that's going to give a regular income. So it becomes very challenging. Exactly. I got I got to eat and feed my family. So those are the challenges, I think, and that we need to kind of get back, if at all possible, to that uh, subsidized system of bringing someone in so that then set up a mentor type of relationship with maybe another established agent in the office and then start bringing folks in. But then that's a slow growth because we're not talking about bringing in 30 or 40 people. You're talking about onesies and twosies, and it does make a difference but it's not a mass of people coming in. And I don't know that the answer to bringing in the mass, because we need the mass, but we need people to be able to stay in place at the same time. <laughs> they need to make it because you bring them in yeah. and then they don't make it. Then you're backtracking, you know? Very interesting. Um, let, let's pivot a little bit um, sure. and talk about, uh, you know, your leadership and, and leadership style and so forth. Uh, as a leader in the financial services industry, what do you think are some of the most important attributes of, <clears throat> excuse me, of successful leaders today, Lee? Ethics would be at the top of the list. You know, you got to be an ethical person, do what's right for yourself, your family, your clients, everything. I think the pledge, um, the professional pledge of the society is probably the one of the main keys if you if you're a society member and you understand that pledge it's going to govern everything that you do so that's important uh we've talked a little bit about education and that's i think it's just as important it's critical that you know what you're doing and that you can articulate that to whoever it is that you're talking to so that you can be viewed as a advisor or a consultant kind of person that has some information that would be of value to them So I think those two things would probably be at the top of the list. Uh, There certainly could be some things when you're looking at, well, do you understand how to explain a whole life versus a universal life insurance policy? You know, you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. need a designation to do that. (laughs) But you do need need some basic understanding of how those, those concepts work, and are you fairly adept at being able to explain them? And so that it's at a level that regardless if you're talking to a blue-collar worker or you're talking to a white-collar worker, you're able to communicate at the level that they can understand. How, that's interesting. How, how do you, Lee, uh, if I was a young professional, because I'm your age, so if I was a 30-year-old and I came to you and mm-hmm. said, Lee, how do I continue to 
grow and you know maybe I'm in my first leadership position and I, I come to you and say you know you've been in the business 20 years longer than I have 25 how do I right. continue to grow and develop as a leader what do I do hmm interesting question because I never set out to be a leader David it wasn't that wasn't it wasn't I it kind of happened but mm-hmm. I, you know it wasn't like join um the local society chapter, and I want to be the chair, you know, the president of the society. It never started out like that. Uh, it was, you know, more being involved with the, the mission of the society and what the society was about and, you know, learning from the sessions and the high level of education that you could see. But I, 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 I know I'm being referred to as a leader, and, I, you know, I never really – that, as I mentioned, I never really set out to be a leader, mm-hmm. but I think in answer to your question, let me see if I can do that. Being able to understand that if you set a good example, you do what you say you're going to do, you're competent in what you do, those other things will take care of themselves because you'll start mm-hmm. rising above everyone else. I don't maybe, maybe I shouldn't say it like everyone else, but you'll start people will start noticing you because you're a person that is, they feel good and comfortable in working with. You've got a, a personality, you know, you're not one of these people like, Oh no, here comes John. <laughs> you know, not one of those. Okay. You don't want to be the guy you working want, with. You don't, no, I was going to say, you don't want to be the leader that everybody on Sunday night dreads waking up on Monday morning because they have to deal with you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> because sometimes those people are in leadership positions, but I don't know how they ever got there. You know, maybe it yeah. was because they've been around for 20 years and it was just like their turn, but that doesn't necessarily make you a good leader because you've been around it for 20 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in that, let's just go down that track a little bit. What about role models and mentors that you had over the years that maybe helped you develop your style? Is there anybody that you can point out? You don't have to name names, but are there people you can point to as role models and mentors? Yes. I was a benefactor of a mentoring relationship after I started with my, when I first started in the insurance business, the company that I was with, I left after uh, approximately three years to work in an agency of another uh, financial services professional. And that individual took me under his wing and basically helped me understand more about the insurance business. So I was, and we were basically on a split case basis. He got 75% of the case. I got 25% of the case. I did all the inside work. You know, put the proposals together, ordered the exams, ordered the APS. When we ordered APSs, ordered the APSs, did all of that, ran the illustrations, put the um, the, the estate planning proposals together, went into the programs, and you know, ran the. At that time, people did have to pay estate taxes. <laughs> Things <that changed. laughs> Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you know, um, but we had to do so. I was the inside guy, and then after a while, after I learned all that, we started going out on calls together. Then I started understanding a little bit more about that process. When you're now talking to someone who may have some assets and their needs are slightly different because of the things that they've been able to accumulate. So I understand the power of the mentoring relationship because I'm a direct beneficiary of that. 
and mm-hmm. I am doing my very, very best to try to do that. So even today, you know, one of my expertise is in the area of 401k plans and setting those up, establishing. We also do a lot with employee benefits in terms of health and those kinds of things. And in some cases, I can be kind of a unicorn because when I look at the, my broker-dealer, there are very few people who do benefits with my broker-dealer. So I have a unique expertise in that area, and then, but it is a source of daytime activity. So that certainly could be a way when we were talking earlier about what to do for a younger person coming into the business is to looking at doing, looking, learning the employee benefits business because everybody will talk to you about their benefits sooner or later because the rates are going to go up. So if someone has an idea that might possibly help them save that number two cost outside of payroll that they have, they will probably listen to you or at least give you an audience around the time of their renewal. So it is a way if you develop that, that could be a source of a way to get in. When you're in a business situation, now you open up to the business insurance side. You open up to key person. You open up to deferred compensation, executive bonus. You open yourself up to those types of programs that you would not have available to you on an individual basis. What about – in today's world, 2020, obviously, I have, I have kids in their 20s, and, you know, everything mm-hmm. is online, especially now with the pandemic. We're all going to Zoom meetings and so forth. Can you still be successful, and can you still have these relationships as a mentor, given how remote and electronic everyone is today? I think most definitely, yes. Uh, interestingly enough, when you mentioned the whole thing about the Zoom and all, when the pandemic got started and all of that, I was concerned at first because, you know, I'm a, this is a face-to-face kind of business, talking, going to the company, talking to the HR person about their benefits or whatever they're doing, or the owner about his estate planning needs. It was all face-to-face because that's what we did. The pandemic caused us to view things a little bit differently. And now I have, um, I found that, hmm, I mean, I don't have to drive an hour across town and get caught in traffic right. to, to see Mr. Smith. <laughs> and Mr. Smith is very receptive with seeing me because we have a visual. So it was more visual than being face-to-face. Once I got over that in my head, then I was good. <laughs> I and, and you know what's interesting, what's interesting about – I'm sorry, excuse me. What's no, interesting no, no, about no, no, that no, is right. that, that pe- people our age, you know uh, – uh, probably, like as you just said, you know, you were a little concerned about it at the beginning, but you came around. Mm-hmm. I think that the younger people really don't have a concern because this is how right. they operate on a daily basis, and uh, it's not a concern to them at all. Exactly. The whole thing with being so, having social media and being able to yeah. be active on social media is something that's different for the 55 and up person than it is for the 25 to 40 person. You know, there is a whole different environment now, and that's something I think that um, is – it's good for us dinosaurs to learn something. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've talked a lot about leadership and and, and some of your uh, challenges and and some of your styles and so forth. What do you Mm -hmm. think is the biggest challenge that leaders face today? Effective communication. Uh, would be probably at the top of our list that, that I would think about. 
again, since I'm 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 trying to I understand the whole leader what that means that term leadership means, and it's it's I, I struck I think I struggle with this just a little bit in terms of answering because I never viewed myself as a leader. You know, it wasn't something that I aspired to be. It just kind of happened, and it was more along the lines of you know there's something that he might be able to say that could be a benefit, and as a result of that you kind of, you know, people start, you know, wanting to hear you. <laughs> yeah, um, no, you're right. Yeah, many times, many times when I think of a leader, you know, immediately you go military, you know, the general or the, you know, the colonel or somebody who's got 50 zillion people under their command. And that's not what we do. But at the same time, we can be a leader because we have impact through whatever it is that we do. We may have a leader as being someone who has brought financial security to 2,000 families because you talk to them about their life insurance needs, so now they don't have to do a GoFundMe page. They actually have a Mm -hmm. life insurance policy. Uh, Those kinds of things, and those are things where I think that there is certainly leaders and leadership but it maybe it's not the one that brings you all the glory. You know, you're not the one who, you know, saved the world. You know what I mean? Um, right, But right. it's you're still able to be a leader. Yeah, you I know, can, I, I, sometimes I get going and I just <laughs> have to watch <laughs> No, that's fine. I, I, that's a good answer. That's, that's a great answer. You know, I, I read a lot about leadership myself and, and, and mm-hmm. specifically about uh, – you know, creating a certain culture in a company or an organization. Um, right. And you often hear that you need to have people around you that don't necessarily agree with your opinion to make sure that you're being an effective leader. Well, talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that if you can, you know, integrating people that maybe don't have the exact same point of view that you do and how that influences, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the business. I think when you mentioned the leader and you mentioned to me about, you know, I'm said effective communication, I think listening is also a key, which is part of communication because you don't have, or whoever the leader is does not have a patent on leadership <laughs> or on right. the proper, on, or on the best way to do something. So I find that it is very important to listen <clears throat> and weigh whatever the ideas are presented and in order to do that, you have to have what you just described. You can't have all yes people around you. You need somebody who's going to challenge you. And that challenging then causes, in my opinion, let me qualify that, that challenging then causes everyone to grow because it's like, oh, you know, we didn't think about that. Yeah, you should think about that. And maybe it doesn't change the direction, but at least it was addressed so that you could have discussion on it and that people feel that they're able to make suggestions without being shot down. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, it's a good point. Um, you know, we all have a, it, it's easy for us to, at our stage in our careers to look back and say, gee, I, I wish I had done that, or I could have done this, or maybe mm-hmm. I should have done that. If you were given an opportunity to change careers, you could turn back the clock. Would you do it? I would not. Because I, I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Uh, there's, I mean, I've got a very, very interesting little history in terms of how I got started in the insurance business with a relative who approached me when I was in college. And 
because my degree, David, believe it or not, <laughs> is in biology. I have a BS in biology, <laughs> and I was planning on going to dental school. And uh, my wow. uncle was the my uncle was the second black agent hired for a major insurance company, and back in the mid fifties in fifty seven. Think that one through, okay? <laughs> wow. So he had approached me when I was in college because I was selling books during the summertime to help pay for school. So there's a whole little story there that we obviously don't have time to get into, but I understood what this business could do not only for myself and my family, but at the same time for the people who we came in contact with. You know, I think right now in 401k plans, we probably have 3,000 participants. So these are people who are now able to save for their retirement that might, if I maybe if I hadn't been to come to their company, they might not have a retirement plan. <laughs> who knows? You know, um, yeah. so the impact is, is broad and, I've, I've, you know, have they always say, David, you don't know you're really in this business till you deliver your first check, your death claim check? Yes, mm-hmm. that's very, very true. Because, you know, when I come, it's not the same as it used to be. We used to deliver the checks, as you know, we don't do that anymore. But, right, right. you know, it's like everybody's bringing flowers, I'm bringing money. so it's a whole little different thought process when you realize the impact that you have and then many times you're keeping a family from being on the street because you were able to put a life insurance program in place for them or Mm -hmm. a will or assist them with getting a will and those kinds of things Mm -hmm. well i have one more question for you lee and we've talked a lot about the financial services profession and, and you deal with uh with risk all the time and and try to talk Mm -hmm. people through that, I'm sure. So let me ask you this. What's the biggest risk that you've ever taken personally? (laughs) It's not doing this podcast, I don't think. (laughs) Uh, Wow. The biggest risk? I don't know, David. I'm I'm, I'm stumped. Um, I usually have an answer for almost everything. That one, that one, that's a good one. Um, I, um, you know, I've never thought of this business as a risk, uh, but I guess maybe, you know, going into the insurance business or any business without having a client, without having any source of income from your, the company, people that you're going to be working with. That's probably the ultimate risk because we're mm-hmm. in an environment where it, it depends on you. Um, and, and, and you know, it's interesting. We were talking about um, commission and being commission only and all of that. So I used to tell folks, I said, like, well, I understand you have a salary and you work and all those other things. But quite honestly, you're on commission because if you don't produce, even though you're not getting paid per transaction or whatever it is, you're going to be out of a job. <laughs> So you've got to meet certain goals. You've got to do certain things. So all of us are really on some kind of commission. It's just how long is that going to last, and do we get paid if we don't produce? (laughs) So uh, because many times there are people who get paid and they're not producing, but sooner or later it comes to it it will rise up, and they're like, you know what? No, God, let's go. (laughs) And yeah, just like everybody else, you know, you're right. That's a great answer because. You know, and that's a, that's a good way to, to end this, this this discussion because you're right. We all are, um, you know, at some level of risk because we all have to mm-hmm. go to work and do our jobs and produce. Whether you're, exactly. you're right, whether you're right. on a commission or not. Right. Exactly. Very interesting. Exactly. Right. 
Well, Lee, listen, it's been a pleasure to have you uh, on our podcast today on FSP Talks, and I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, best of luck uh, going forward with your career. And, and uh, again, thank you very much. And David, thank you. This this opportunity was uh, very appreciative. I it was something unexpected, and thank you so much for your consideration. And I hope that maybe something that I said would be of value to the audience going forward. And if there's anything I can do in the future, just let me know. I'm sure I'm sure people will find it quite uh, quite helpful. And it was our pleasure to have you. Thanks again. That was Lee Great. V. Bethel, uh, president of Comprehensive Benefit Services Incorporated.